0: Where did you like to play as a child? I ask this question a lot, because childhood memories shape us into the people we become. Welcome to Play It Forward, a worthy podcast. I'm your host, Lucas Ritson. Thanks so much for joining me. I talk a lot about play. I'm a dad, I'm a husband, I'm an educator, and I'm a playground designer. So I want to gather some of my favourite people who are advocates of children and nature, and create a space to have an honest conversation about getting more kids outside. The power of play is very often underestimated and I think we all need a little more play in our lives. Welcome to another Play It Forward Worthy podcast. Today we have a special guest with us today to add value for all those people out there that endeavour to be those guardians of children in our lives. Um, From the Australian Child Care Alliance, we have Brent Stokes. A bit of background on Brent. He was originally... Um, Had his own service, was the approved provider for a small family-owned operated early childhood centre and he finds himself today as the CEO for Australian Child Care Alliance. Um, Brent's passionate for early childhood education, provides a safe, happy, sustainable and healthy educational environment for families, educators alike. Um, What I admire about Brent is that he is always raising the bar, always endeavouring to do the best work and I think it come, he always comes from a great place of how best to support the people in the sector, to improve the sector. Um, the reason why I wanted Brent on today is because he's got a superpower in that he has an amazing overview of the sector, diverse in communities, diverse in the structures and also has that... Um, supportive role in in hearing your voice and acting on that so thanks so much for joining us today Brent. Thanks so much for having me along I'm so excited. Um, We were just talking before we got started and about you jumping into the sector Um, let's start with that story because I love your passion about
1: how you found yourself supporting children. Yeah, look, it's a long story, but I'll try and condense it. So when I left school, I was lacking a bit of direction. I didn't really know where my passion was or what I wanted to do. I was desperate to make a difference. And um, through school, like a lot of people and a lot of my friends, I worked at McDonald's and I thought that was a great training ground to service people and and to do your best. Um, It's really good experience and learning on the job. I got a little bit lost there and thought, well, maybe that's what I want to do. You know, first experience out of, out of school, work at McDonald's, maybe I want to own a McDonald's. And, and that probably wasn't a realistic goal at that time in my life. Um, and then I semi-fell into a hospitality management and I absolutely loved it. So I worked within a lot of international hotel chains, predominantly here on the Gold Coast. And ultimately I had the opportunity to fast track my career and move to Papua New Guinea and and I headed up the sales and marketing and revenue management for two hotels over there. So um, that was a great experience, a cultural experience learning and working with the locals in Papua New Guinea. It was a really wealthy experience for me to learn and grow myself and then the opportunity presented itself to uh, expand and, and move back to Australia and be closer to family and friends, but also to get engaged in early learning, which at the time I didn't realise how little I knew and how much I had yep. to learn. So, Yeah. And that's a
0: great story because I know so many people in the sector have hat, wore so many different hats before finding themselves in the sector. Um, and even a lot of people that are ex-hospitality moving into the sector, absolutely. I can relate. I was a hospitality brat growing up in hospitality, my yep. dad owning hotels as well. So um, what are the similarities you saw and the skills you could bring across from hospitality to um, the early childhood sector?
1: Look, I don't want to undervalue early learning, but I think there's a lot of, um, a lot of uh, understanding that you can transfer across many different sectors. So... It's all about looking after your team I think is the bi- biggest forefront at when when we first started out it was happy educators make happy children make happy families so yep. looking after those uh, educators valuing them making sure that you're an employer of of difference and benefit yeah and that create that flows on into really offering enriching positive um, experiences for children to learn develop and flourish and grow and that just makes a successful business so I think if you focus not on the business and not on the profitability, we ended up having a very successful early learning service group. Yeah, and there seems to be a bit of a stigma
0: in the sector that I observe around business Mm. versus education. Yeah. And it's like, well, if you're running a business and you're business orientated, it's kind of like you don't have good intention. Yes. So can you talk to that a little bit about, because obviously business background and primary focus on education, you would be dealing with this all the time.
1: Yeah, I, I love to. It, it's it's interesting. I don't think about it much. But when I came back to Australia and started engaging in my servers, um, I really was trying to find my place. So like everywhere where I've been successful in business, it's, it's surrounding myself with more intelligent people than me. So I had an amazing support mechanism for the early learning side of things. And I really was trying to find where I sit in the organization. So coming from a sales and marketing background, I thought, well, yeah, I'm gonna really make a difference here, but letting everyone know how amazing we are as a team. Yeah. So I was really good at getting media in and talking about what we did. And often it would come back to, well, are you a father? No, I'm not. Are you a teacher? No, I'm not. Are you married? No, I'm not. And I started to realize perception was really important and, and how I needed to change that. So. I went out and got my uh, uh, Certificate three in early childhood to make sure that I had some foundation there and I really started to try and break down that stigma that profit is a dirty word, that if you run a successful um, business or early learning service, they can be one and the same. You can reinvest that back into the children and the educators and provide a better outcome for everyone.
0: Yeah, that was a big hurdle I had to... leap over mm. as a, as moving from the early childhood sector into having my own business and wanting to just help, 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 help. And, you know, it came down to profits for purpose. Yes. The more profitable I am, the more purpose and the more intention
1: I can have. Yeah. I, I think about Sandy Phoenix and the cups, you know, you yep. can't fill from an empty cup. So you have to make sure that you're looking after yourself so that you can support other people.
0: Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. In the show notes, head over, podcast, Sandy Phoenix, reference, shout out. Um, before we go diving down all the rabbit holes that are, I'm excited about,
1: um, let's start where we start with all our guests. Where did you play as a child? For me, that's an easy one. Um, I was lucky enough to grow up on 15 acres in Talabudra. And at the time, back then, people said, wow, you live so far away. away." Yeah. And I'm like, that's 15 minutes from Burley Coast, you know. Yeah. So we were lucky. My dad was an ex-shearer and a pie maker from Western Queensland out in Springshaw, so he really had that connection to bush. And so we came down, we had our own cattle, we had our own dam. So my play was focused around the dam, which looking back, I'm nearly horrified. My mum was a very protective mother, but I often was playing either on my own or with my friends in the dam, around the dam, around the small banana um, plantation, or... Over the causeway when we had uh, e- excessive rain that we just played in that in that area which was amazing experience. So it's a real
0: interesting framing your your perception of a protective parent then yeah. was letting you play in a dam. <laughs> I can't believe it. Like
1: looking back, I would I, I would struggle to let my four year old play in a dam on her own, but that's what we did. You know, maybe not at four, but we really had a lot of um, trust and empowerment to go out and. T- have that play and it'd be really fun and safe. Yeah. On reflection, um,
0: what are the biggest outcomes you remember about, like that you've applied in your life now
1: to your childhood experience on property? I I don't know that I've given that a lot of thought over my life, but it really gave me a lot of independence. Yep. So independence to make choices, to make safe risk management decisions. Yep. Um, you know, teamwork was huge. So I was – I have three half-brothers, but I was raised as an only child in our household. So yeah. our my parents were always very encouraging of having friends over. So we would always have a friend or two over and we would, you know, scaffold on each other's interests and, yeah. and learn to share and, and understand and empathise with what other people want to do. And I think having animals of some description is great for empathy and understanding. So, you know, I had... Two cows. I still remember them. January and February. Looking back, that's pretty silly names, but at the time, that was my world. You know, yeah. I had a small family of three, but really, it extended much further with our family and friendship groups that we had. Yeah, and um, just out of interest, how
0: far do you think your like free travel went? You had fifteen acres. How far do you think you could go?
1: Well, independently, I I struggle to remember. Back at where I was empowered to go at a certain time, but I know I, I can tell you that we lit fires. I can tell you that we had an old Toyota Crown car, which yep. was not worth a lot of money, that I was allowed to drive around the paddock. Yep. I don't know what, what age that was, and before I even was able to sit for my driver's license, my dad had an old F100 Ute, yep. and we I would have to drive that up and down our driveway, which was like nearly a kilometre. And then do it backwards. So <laughs> he said, "Look, once you do that, I'm willing to take you to get your license." So, it, the journey really started from probably birth. But as I was trusted, I, I believe I was a pretty good kid, yeah. um, and didn't get into a lot of mischief. Although playing with fires was always <laughs> a stretch of the boundaries. But I really was allowed to do a lot there because you know we did the right thing and we were pretty well behaved with, with what we did with our friends.
0: Yeah, and I can see in your passion for supporting children, it's like. Seems to manifest
1: as straight from that. Yeah, I definitely. I, uh, I think I was very lucky to have a really good upbringing.
0: Yeah. Convenient era of upbringing that we both had. had in yeah. That timing. Um, so let's shift gears a bit. For the people out there that aren't familiar, um, what is the overarching role of the Australian Childcare
1: Alliance? So we hope that we're the voice for the sector. So we represent um, over 850 early learning centres across Queensland and that's a lot of trust and responsibility because there's over 14,000 educators and early childhood teachers Mm. and over 185,000 children. So we hope we're their voice. We hope we advocate for the sector. We hope we educate Uh, educate the sector, we share and update them on changes that are occurring, and we hope we lift the quality through a variety of different aspects. One of those, for instance, is providing heavily subsidised quality policies, including procedures and forms. So we just try to lift the quality in everything that we do and make sure that everyone in the sector understands implementation of policy. And...
0: Let's delve into that. Like we're constantly, we've got this joint mission of elevating the perception, not the practice, but also the community perception of the sector. Yeah. So talk to me about that. Um, How do we change that stigma around the sector just being childcare Um, and look at it as true education like other countries do?
1: Yeah, well, I guess I have only been in the sector for about 15 years. And when I look around my committee, my association committee, that's relatively new in comparison to many of my colleagues. Um, But I actually really like to celebrate how far we've come. So when I was in hospitality, you couldn't call anyone staff or um, colleagues. They were all associates. And that was just to try and give respect to your colleagues. Um, when we operated our service, we changed titles pretty quick. So group leader, assistant, and floats. Float was my worst bugbear. I thought that just doesn't um, emulate the respect and the uh, and and the acknowledgement of what early childhood educators do. So we 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 tried a few different titles until we got um, you know landed on where we think is the right one. So I think we've come a long way, but we still have a long way to go. Yeah. And I think COVID, one of the silver linings of COVID is I say that it's really pulled back the curtain on understanding how essential our early childhood workforce is and also how important our sector is. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Um, Essential
1: service. Yes. Um, One thing you touched
0: on there, which I really like, is what I hear is that that big influence and that change of perception starts small. Yes. Like in our centres, the way you refer to people. It's like that think big but act local, as Chris Prisk says to us on our podcast,
1: which I love that saying. Yeah. Look, I have spoken to a lot of intelligent people through my working life and one of the takeaways that I took, took was how are you so successful? And they said to me, I do all the little things well. Yeah. Because all the little things, it's like a – avalanche; They all add up to become the real big thing. So it's it's talking about when we had services, it was talking about I expect you to open the gate for me, but I also expect you to expect that I will open the gate for you because how we treat each other is how we treat our extended um, family, which is our parents Mm. and children and our educated team. So I think it's doing all the things well makes the big difference really. And um, you mentioned we
0: have come so far and I completely agree conversations which were a stretch when I started in the sector, um, people calling me up saying, can we put logs in our playground? Yeah, yeah. And now every playground's got logs. Yeah, um, That's only a small example. Maybe you got some other examples of your favourite things you've seen.
1: Yeah, oh, for sure. I mean when we – so we operated our service and we were lucky enough to have five acres so we didn't have any artificial grass at the time. We were fortunate, fortunate yeah. because we had space, we didn't need that. Um, we also had animals in our service, and we have had, experienced the roller coaster of councils and departments suggesting to us that we need to install artificial turf and we need to take away animals, and we tried to educate rather than and educate and advocate rather than being adversarial with them yes. We didn't want to fight with them. we wanted yeah. to say look this is our beliefs and and a lot of those beliefs, especially in the early days were inherited from people that I was lucky enough to work with yeah. and I think they sort of set my foundation to say let's let the rest of the sector understand what we believe and what we know so that they can learn as well and and we had some great experiences so we really got a great buy-in the, the relationships that I had with our regional office in Ipswich were extremely positive over you know over 10 years out yep. there so they're all great and you
0: mentioned there like supporting and advocating to the department which is like something I've s- found very successful personally from the start um, if we can dismiss uncertainty and give that base of understanding to the people that it's not it's not through ignorance it's not through um ill intention or they're not trying to catch you Mm. maybe they just don't have the information and you
1: do that's exactly right it's really intelligent people don't know everything you can't be everything to everyone so i think working together you get the best outcomes and and involve them in your decision making
0: yeah um Do you have any tips for the steps you could take to do that for the educators listening?
1: Uh, I think, understand, the first thing, advice I give is that know that one voice makes a huge difference. So speak up. Your voice is powerful. Your voice will be heard as long as it's given in the right way, in the right professionalism. So you can make a difference within your service and within your community and celebrate how much you know. I know that a lot of educators, nominated supervisors and approved providers are really, really scared about assessment and rating or yes. hesitant about assessment and rating. Yeah, It's probably a reach to say welcome assessment and rating, but that is your opportunity. What well, is one of your opportunities to shine? Showcase what amazing work you do, what amazing um, collaboration you have with community. Um, it's, it's, a, it's, an, it's like a, a job interview where you get to show off all the amazing things you do each and every day. Yeah, absolutely. And I extend on
0: that when we're working with centres within renovations or new builds, it's like we've got a great opportunity here to elevate the practices yep. and elevate and and display, put on display these great practices that we have. So in turn, you're not just affecting your families, in maybe the 80 families in your centre, you're actually making it not acceptable for those terrible practices anymore. Exactly. So the terrible stuff, or I shouldn't say terrible, but realistically we're all adults. There is not some great practices out there. Yeah. So they fall away because they're just like, in comparison to how good you are. Yeah. So if we focus on doing our best work all the time, we're going to improve the whole sector, just not our communities.
1: Yeah, that's right. I don't know the exact saying, but I, what is the high tide lifts all ships? Yes. So, I mean, we got very jealous when people used to copy our practices out in Ipswich and after a while I realised hey we're just as inclined to copy their practices if they're good so if we do well it strives for them to do better and them for copy us and then it strives for us to push the boundaries again so we're uh, you know, continual improvement, I r- never really understood that properly until yeah. I got into the early learning sector because we are on a journey of continual improvement each and every day. Yeah. I I, I had that challenge doing um, PDs and
0: conferences and also designing and then people were like, oh, protect, protect your IP, protect your yeah. IP. And I'm like, well, if they get it and they apply it, that's awesome because yeah. I know it to be really good and – and coming from that educational background and being an educator, I know it actually worked. Yeah. So I was like, if they take that and run with it, I'm flattered. Yeah. And then when it comes to the design, oh, what about other companies ripping off your design? That's fine. Yes. But as long as they rip it off and apply that design to the right environment, like that suits that community, go for it. That's exactly We're all right. going to progress together. Yep. Um, And moving from a bit of your backstory, paint a picture for us, is um, how did you move from that? having that service into
1: ACA? Yeah, it was an interesting journey. So um, I was, I believe I was in the sector for about a year or two and I got invited, uh, sorry, I'll go back again. So I was in the sector for not more than about three months and I got invited to go along to one of our Australian Trucker Alliance Queensland conferences. Yeah, And I thought there is no way I'm going to embarrass myself by going along to that. And I got a a gentle push from someone that is still a respected friend and colleague in the sector. And I went along and I felt so out of place. But I had four professional ladies that took me under their wing and and pretty much looked after me all weekend. And um, I was surprised that I knew people there from other walks of life, a banker. And, you know, they would say things to me like, you know, do you know this person in the sector? And I said, I don't know who you're talking about. They said, wow, you've got a lot to learn. I said, I do, but that's why I'm here. So. You know, it was really exciting for me to come along and start. I, di- I didn't even know I was starting, but just opening my eyes to w- how much I still had to learn at that point and still do.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That was a big turning point for me as well, going to a ACA conference and just seeing the scope and the professionalism and the depth of... Um, of the speakers, depth of the passion, yeah. um, the dedication to the sector and improvement. Yeah. And um, a real celebration of the individuals as well, the people that are out there doing it, which I really loved.
1: Yeah, I'm so proud to be a part of that and have been for some time. I think many people don't realise that our committee is a 100% volunteer committee and they're predominantly approved providers and operators yep. of early learning services. When it comes to our conference, we don't outsource that. There's nothing wrong with people that do, yeah. but we are our own professional conference organiser. So every decision we make, we feel the impact of. Yeah. So we want to get the best speakers. We want to create the best environment. So everything for us is important. Talking about doing the small things well, we want to have the welcoming experience when they walk in the door to the point where they leave and potentially get a farewell thank you gift for joining us in an enriching weekend. Yeah. It all has to hit the mark. Yeah.
0: And it does. Like, I had a big pivot in my path at uh, where was it? the Gold Coast golf course one.
1: At Royal Pines. Royal I remember Pines. you being there. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. I, was, um, I had the opportunity to chat to M- Maggie Dent and talk yep. about, I'm like, I'm thinking this and I really want to make an impact. And she was just like, well, you have to do it then. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. And um, she was just so supportive. She was like, any of my books, use them. Anything you want to use of mine, take it. Because as long as you make a difference, get out there. But you have to do it. Yeah. So I was like, wow, for that belief and someone that's got such depth and knowledge and to be in such a safe and secure and supportive environment, So I feel that gave me a real launching pad yeah, for well, it. And it's just so valuable, that conference. And over the years, I've been to many, many, many and, and – and have spoken at many. And I always come back to that one being like such a big point in my journey. So thanks to you and your team for that detail and um, putting me on a path, essentially. <laughs> um, let's sh- And while well, we're on the topic of the conference, what's going to happen? We're in
1: these unique times of COVID, second wave in Melbourne. Yeah, look, we're um, probably everyone's sick of talking about unprecedented times and where yeah. the future holds. So it was... A huge disappointment for us to have to cancel our conference this year, but fundamentally everything goes back to the safety of our members and our educators. So we could not, you know, we weren't allowed to in the end, but we could not make the decision to proceed. So rather than do it not to the best of our ability, we didn't try and do it as a day conference or something like that. We just postponed it until next year. So. Look, at the moment, there's a lot of uncertainty. I think the situation in Victoria has reminded us of how fragile it is. I think the governments, both state and federally, as well along with communities, have done fantastic work to put us in a health situation that we're doing so well. So we hope it's hope it's good. We will be proceeding with next year, yep. you know, until we can't. So we 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 plan on it going ahead, and we plan on it being another successful conference. So. Yep. I'm sure it will be once it gets there, it'll That's be it. there. I'll be there. Um, while we're on
0: the topic of COVID there's been, and we've seen that silver lining of this COVID thing, really highlighting the importance of the sector, not only from an education and security standpoint for, um, the children mm-hmm. and giving them security, but you know, real, real support for their the parents having to get out there or harder times for job seekers and things like that. Um, Where's, this, where's What's your view on where the sector's at now? Because obviously we had those times of unpaid and that wrapping up. Where do you think the, health-wise the sector's at? Because there's so much speculation. I talk to so many people and it's like, well, well, might as well talk to you who's got yeah, that great overview. Well,
1: I, I could probably talk about this issue for an hour because it's been my, you know, every day from the moment I've woken up to the moment I go to bed yeah. for the last four months. So... To just give a quick recap, and I know we're all across this, but from mid March, we did a survey with our members and 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 across Australia, indicating that one in three services was imminent to close. So the relief payment package that the government set up for the first week of April, um, people have been quite critical of it, but I think it was good policy in the in haste the time in the time that we had to. It it rescued the it did what it was meant to do, which was rescue the sector for the impending crisis now as we know 50% of subsidy coupled with JobKeeper was not sustainable so we never anticipated that 40% of our early childhood educators would not be eligible for one reason or other to JobKeeper so we had to make a change and we advocated pretty strongly for that in the four-week review and then finally when we had the transition back to CCS So in a nutshell, we believe the transition to childcare subsidy strikes the right balance for allowing families to access as much early learning as they want and need while keeping the sector sustainable and viable. However, that is in the here and now. Mm. When the health situation changes, that may have to change as well. But in the environment we are in now, it, it is suitable and it does meet the needs what, the only aspect that we're most concerned about is vulnerable and disadvantaged children and we don't want their plight to be magnified and have less access to quality early learning than they did before. So yeah. that, that's the piece that we're very conscious of and we'll have to monitor as this plays out.
0: Yeah. So how can, how can we support as a sector those more vulnerable children?
1: Well, I think it is no one-size-fits-all. So the federal government, as you know, has made some allowances that if your family has been negatively financially impacted by COVID, you can ask for an exemption to the activity test. So potentially you can have 100 hours of subsidised care a fortnight, so 50 hours a week, but we don't know how it's going to affect each individual family. So what I am always humbled by is that where for predominantly a for-profit sector, yeah. especially with our membership base. We do we are very fortunate enough to look after community groups and not-for-profit and state-funded kindergartens. But those providers are really heartfelt in wanting to uh, engage with those families. So we have a families that are trying to encourage and do whatever they can to ensure those families are continuing their early learning journey or not losing them or welcoming them in. So they're being very creative to make sure that they continue to come, including transport, wraparound services, to make sure that they feel welcome, valued, and know that that is the best support to scaffold on top of what they're doing at home.
0: Yeah. And there's been some, once again, we've got many silver linings. It just depends on your perspective. Mm. Um, I saw one the other day of a centre in Gympie and they had a, delivery of an envelope delivered to them and it just said for families that need in need for care right now and it was just some it was just cash in there saying this is to support the other families right now so pay it forward yeah which is just so great and then uh, like those providers going above and beyond and supporting their communities so many great stories across the community
1: Yeah, it's hard to really capture everything that's going on because it's always at grassroots. You very rarely hear about the best impact. Um, My experience with paying it forward and helping was after the 2011 floods that occurred and we found it really hard to find those families in most need. So we leveraged some of our great networks within council and we found them out and we definitely supported them. And the... The desire for our network. You know, we would say, oh, look, this family is m- missing a bed. And within about 20 minutes on Facebook, we would have three beds. You know, yeah. I've got a bed, I've got a bed, and, and I, I can drop it over. You know, yeah. I I get blown away at how much people actually want to help if they know what's going on and they are given the opportunity to help. Yeah. It just has to be accessible and opportunity. Exactly. Done. Just like Play for Children. Yeah. Accessible,
0: opportunity. Agree. Um, and I find, like... Within the sector and also community, it's through these challenging times that those relationships are forged. That's right. As well, and it's in those relaxed times that we tend to get a bit lazy. I can I'll put my hand up for that. Like the children in our community during COVID have never been outside more. Yeah, which has been great as well. Definitely. Um, and you know, it's commendable um, the team and yourself. Um, supporting the sector during these hard times as well. No, there was a time there where you are getting about three updates emailed out per day on the one policy that changed, changed, (laughs) changed, changed. They're like, we're about to process it and another change comes through. But imagine if they process it and not come through.
1: Well, I have felt so honoured the role that we've played. And talking about leveraging of what you just said, I've never felt more engaged to our members. So we would often have... You know, the phone would be ringing hot from six o'clock in the morning, whether it be media or members, and it would go right through to the end of the day. We were working like everyone, you know, seven days a week, yeah. long days. Um, and I think the, the best, the best uh, acknowledgement we got is that some of our members said, look, we will see the information shared on a number of different sources, and we will just say, let's just wait to see what ACA has to say, because they may not always be first but they'll always be accurate and they'll always tell us how it will actually impact us on the ground. And that means children, families, educators and providers. Yep, and I heard that time and time again. Um,
0: We pride ourselves on having great relationships with our clients and I was just phoning up saying, I know there's probably nothing I can do, but um, let me know if there's anything I can help with. And they were so many times I just heard, Oh, we're just
1: waiting for the ACA update, and then that will be all right. You yeah, tell and, us what to do, and, and that, and I mean, I don't think you can get any better recommendation. But that is such a team effort, both from um, our membership was so important. Can you know conducting surveys? It was with our committee. It was our office team, and it was also our national counterparts too. Because many people don't realize that we dovetail up into national. So we yep. ACA Queensland represent Queensland in yep. the national group as well. Yep. Um, And let's switch it up a bit
0: away from the COVID thing. We've spoken a lot about it. People are probably thinking, all right, I've heard enough about this. (laughs) Um, Let's talk about, you because your background and you did your Cert 3 and pro early years, Um, what we're seeing now is this pressure to schoolify the sector and that academia pushing down into it. So where do you stand in keeping the sector strong and for children and a play-based curriculum.
1: Yeah, it's funny. It's like society pressuring to schoolify early learning because I can't really put my finger on who has that drive and passion to schoolify early learning because I'm fortunate enough to be um, active and engaged in a lot of consultative groups. And if there's any discussion about schoolifying it is fought with such passion from the sector. It really doesn't matter who you talk to. Um, So I think we're pretty protected because there is an overwhelming passion that would stop that in its tracks. But, you know, it needs advocates. It needs advocates like the Maggie Dents, yourself, hopefully our association, our members, to really rally up and to speak the truth. Yeah, because you look at the um, just the amount of research coming through the
0: universities now, um, the data doesn't lie, as you hear me say in time and time again, in that the early years count. Yeah, um, and that's going to set them up for success. Do you think maybe it's just an assumption that our sector is getting schoolified? Let's let's challenge
1: ourselves. Is it? Uh, look, I don't know. It 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 is something that we always talk about. It's something it that is. we fear the most. Yeah, and. I know everyone I talk to has such a passion to avoid that you know I keep hearing play is enough well play is not enough it's essential that's the only thing that we're focused on children really the fundamental learning comes from play so you know it's interesting to know why do we all fear it but we don't really know where that 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 threat is coming from we don't know who is really trying to school the fight I mean um I have never been in a in a conversation where they've wanted to test. But yeah. if there is, you know, I don't know anyone who would support it. Like we would just be all against testing yeah. and, and and putting more pressure on children. But I think there is a society pressure. You know, I've never appreciated society pressure until I had my daughter. So, you know, whether it be mothers and breastfeeding, whether it be, who works and who doesn't, how much work is right, how much you should prepare your child and in what way. Should they go to a formal, you know, music lesson or should they just be allowed to play in the park and and enjoy that? So for us, we want to allow our daughter to be a child for as long as she possibly can be because I think and I've experienced firsthand that that gives her the confidence to learn. Yeah.
0: Beautifully said. Well done. (laughs) Thank you. So, so good. And that's what it comes down to a lot of the time. Once you make this real for people and relate it to their relationships and their children, they get it. They're yeah. like, oh, okay. Um, and with your access to the education, um, government education department side, um, what I'm hearing is you haven't had an, the, those conversations about them trying to schoolify the sector either. I
1: haven't really. It it's just plays in the back of our mind. It's like the grey shadow that always fears, it drives us with fear. Yeah. But we are very fortunate. Before my time, we have collaborated so strongly with the Department of Education here in Queensland yeah. and all sides and levels of government. Yeah. So we've always made sure that they understand where we come from and our passion, and they share that passion. So they really the biggest words that i have always related back to is unintended consequences so if someone tries to implement something it's often with good intentions and we believe we're the common sense voice of reason to say just be aware that if you do that that will happen
0: yeah i think we're at the pointy end of the sword as well where these things finally hit the ground yes and then that's where the friction is exactly when it actually hits and we're okay, hang on, (laughs) this is really good in theory. Mm. But if you're only where the friction is, it doesn't allow for that much. Yeah, and we're
1: we're so busy in our sector. I guess all sectors are busy. But we're so busy that we're always focusing on the next challenge, the next unintended consequence, that when we actually achieve, we very rarely celebrate it. So in my role, which I've been fortunate enough to be in for four years, I try to make sure that we celebrate each other's success we celebrate sector's success yeah. and, and because if you don't savor those times you just burn yourself out because you're too focused on what is the next next challenge that you're going to have to tackle yeah and it is a challenging sector and this is a great
0: opportunity to mention like you referred to the 14,000 educators in the sector and yes it is it's such a challenging role to yes. be an educator Um, And we do have a challenge in the sector of having a high turnover. Mm -hmm. Um, I know you are doing things like we spoke about earlier with the conference and upskilling and celebrating. But what else do you think can happen to make sure we're not having that big turnover in the sector of these educators anymore?
1: Yeah, it's probably one of our biggest challenges. Um, For many years, people were talking about it's difficult to get Educators or staff. I th- don't know if that is as true from an educator basis. That that we have had educators for a while. It's hard to get quality educators, experienced educators, yeah. educators with passion. So, I think it is about customising your delivery as a provider. So making sure you know. I I was only talking to the Department of Education Queensland yesterday that we were fortunate enough to have a um, early childhood teacher that used to travel down from Toowoomba each day to Ipswich. Mm. And we just said, what what will make a difference to you? You know, Because what makes a difference to you is much different to me. So it was about empowering her. It was about giving her her own personalised budget for her room. Uh, it was about we, – we actually put a stereo, a new stereo system in her car. She yep. really enjoyed music and her stereo system was not great. Yep. So she used to drive two hours a day nearly and she was listening to music with static. So we yep. put in – a really great sound system in her car and that made a difference to her. Now, for many people that would say, how does that enrich the child's early learning? Well, she arrived at the centre every day in such a better attitude because she was just valued and she felt really good about herself. So, you know, I think it's about understanding your teams and doing what needs to be done to making sure they feel respected and valued. Yeah. Another example of... Doing the small things right, exactly and
0: practicing what you preach, exactly what yep. you mentioned earlier. Um, when it comes to the ECT, I know there's a challenge out there within ECT requirements, early childhood teacher qualified requirements. Um, where
1: does that stand at the moment? Yeah, we've got a big, um, big problem on our hands. I guess with a shortage of quality early childhood teachers, so. Last year when we were preparing for the workforce requirements of having a second, in many cases, a second yeah. early childhood teacher come January 1, we were able to extend the workforce transitional regulations to allow teachers who were working towards their qualification qualification to still be counted. Yeah. Now that only has until the end of next year to run. So what one of the biggest challenges we have is understanding or quantifying how many teachers we have and how many teachers we need fully qualified teachers yeah so we're often engaging with the department of education and the minister to understand that piece so yeah. last march the the minister directed the department of education to do a sector preparedness survey that identified we were in a predicament that we didn't have enough teachers and that allowed us to s- stretch that regulations out another 2 years but that is something that we're continually working on there is no silver bullet it's yeah. working with the universities with the providers uh with the department with government to try and find solutions and again making all those small things count to yeah. make sure that we have enough teachers yeah. now and in the future because yeah. i believe nationally we have a requirement for another 6000 early childhood teachers a year and we're only producing a couple of thousand so yeah. We're, we've we've got a potential crisis that we need to get on now because anything we do today has about a three four year payback yeah so yeah. It's, it's a it's a problem that we've got but I think if we can get all come together we can solve it but it's 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 a challenge yeah
0: and is it because if a if a person does want to become a teacher is that because they're jumping into the school
1: sector uh that's or, one of the problems yeah. i mean the, some of the best I should say re-emphasize some of the best early childhood teachers have been diploma qualified early childhood educators who've yeah. worked in the sector for a long time, yeah. and they are upskilled. So that's making sure that the um, the hurdles to get their qualifications are removed as much as possible. That's making sure they're supported both with prac and study time. It's complicated. That those are you know, let's not beat around the bush we are predominantly a female dominated industry and those females are often balancing work family money pressures to make sure that they get it right it 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 needs holistically the educators the their families and the providers to come together to support one another yeah
0: and what you mentioned there is that it does come down to economics as well as the social sustainability, environmental, yep. as we harp on about all the time. Um, and I know you're in the middle of that experience about getting that the pay for the sector and fighting that balance. Well, kind of, I view you guys as in the middle of that tug of war between you supportive of the sector and the owners, but yes. equally you need to be supportive of the practitioners, the teachers in there. And it's this real tug of war and I don't envy your position at all. Well, you're only that. as
1: good as your team. And we talked about that before we yep. even started today. So yes, we all want to look after our, our early childhood educators and teachers. And you just have to put that in practical terms about how you fund and pay for that. So the, the government subsidies and support must be sufficient to be able to not make accessibility, unaffordable for families. So yes, it's a tug of war and trying to get that balance right all the time.
0: Yeah. And like we mentioned earlier as well, you need to make that profit for purpose as well. And um, we can still do that by putting humanities in front of economies, but we equally need the balance of economies for humanity. Yeah. Um, What excites you most about the next... Five years. Well, you've been in your role for four. Yes, correct. So let's
1: bracket that for four more. Well, look, the the past four was putting uh, the practical into reality. So I've been preaching what we all have for many years, for fifteen years. But having my daughter, there's never been a more humbling experience to understand, to walk in other people's shoes, yeah. to know what it's like to be sleep deprived, to what it's like to know the extension of learning that happens in the service that yeah. supports what we're doing at home. I've never, I could never do, my my partner and I could never do with our daughter alone. We yeah. we need the early learning service to support and scaffold on what we're doing. So I think moving forward, I feel in a very privileged position that we as a sector can make a difference and I hope I'm a positive part of that. I so it's, it's making... It's making a difference where we can, and pushing the boundaries and exploring avenues that haven't been explored before. Playing devil's advocate, you know, like we talked about before, is there pressure to schoolify early learning? I feel there is, but where is that coming from? Yeah. Let, let's let's delve into that. Let's have COVID again. I hate talking about it, but has has encouraged me to have frank and fearless conversations. So yep. I will say to a member, I'm not here without your support. But let me challenge you on that. Let me yep. understand that because I don't know what it's like. So for me, $15 a day for low socio economic families to access early learning is Unfortunately, not a barrier for me, but it is for others. Yeah. Transport is not a barrier for me, so it is for others. I think we all get, and I'm as guilty as anyone, is getting caught up in your own silo. You have to prime walk in other people's shoes and understand their challenges.
0: Yeah, and that's why I wanted to have you in today. You get to have those conversations and see the challenges of diverse families having it. Um, while we mentioned it, you know, being that devil's advocate on the assumptions or... Um, Chinese whispers, what are some other topics you think that are an assumption that aren't true,
1: if any? Okay. Um, look, It's I, kind I, of a myth-buster yeah,
0: opportunity here.
1: Yeah, I, I think off the top of my head, I think males in early education. So being a male coming into an early education, I have never personally experienced... Any pushback, not from my team, not from my families. You know, I have I've felt respected, I've felt valued. I, I think everything, everyone has different drivers. What what drive them to get up in the morning? The why? Why do yeah. you do what you do? Um, I have never felt more of a why than I have in this sector. Yeah. Um, so I think that people are males are potentially hesitant to get into this sector for whatever reason, perception pay whatever it may be but i think once you get into this sector you really understand the value of it and that there is people supporting you families want male educators educators female educators want male educators you you come from a different perspective i think too often than not females are pushed down and they and their and their opinions are not heard but we have to lift them up but females lift males up in our in our sector Yeah, 100%. And that was, you've just described my experience, like
0: the conversations with families about how appreciative they were of me in the sector, Um, the staff, the owners, like everyone has been so supportive. And I was one of those people that once I got into the sector, I was just like, okay, I'm here. And I just feel so fortunate and blessed to be able to contribute. To, to that's such a good sector that's setting people up, not just children up for success, but their families and their relationships. And it just, they've got such a, this sector's got such depth and diversity mm. and affordance and access to these communities where it might be their sole point of access to someone to support them. So I've got to say thank you on, from my, on my, beh- my own behalf to what you guys do and also from all the people that you support. Um, If you have a message for your members, non-members, those 14,000
1: staff out there in Queensland about the times ahead. I would be cautiously optimistic. You know, I think that never before has the sector worked so collaboratively and passionately moving forward. So at one stage we were doing two and three media interviews a day But like we fall into the trap of sensational media, a lot of our messaging wasn't getting through, that we have never experienced such support, support from families, support from educators and support from providers and the wraparound of departments and governments. We all have come from a background of questioning what are someone's intentions. You know, for instance, with JobKeeper, what's the ATO going to try and catch us out? And we said to them, I know this is probably a little bit unprecedented as well, The ATO, the government are not trying to catch you out. We're all in this together. We're all trying to get the common goal and common outcome. So we're trying to work together to achieve that. So I would be cautiously optimistic and try and put things into perspective. I know that over the weekend when I was watching what was going on in Victoria, I rode the roller coaster of waking up that morning feeling very positive, very optimistic seeing how tragic it was experienced down in Melbourne and the fact that they're, as of this week, having to wear um, face coverings and feeling quite down and depressed. Mm. And I thought to myself, you know, we are doing so well here overall, you know, compared to a lot of countries and we have a lot more work to do, but I think the future is bright and we can't go in that naively. There's still a lot of work that we have to do together, but I think we can work together and get to where we need to be. Awesome. And...
0: I was talking to some owners and directors recently and what I was hearing time and time again was that no, we've had to change all of our practices overnight. Yes. And I was like, isn't that great? Yes. <laughs> Look yes. how flexible you are to create those changes that you thought weren't achievable. I've even had conversations with hu- principals of huge like private schools saying we've had to change everything and I was like, amazing. Yeah. When,
1: when do you ever question everything that you do? Yeah.
0: And they've managed to change. And I'm just all like, let's keep the ball rolling. If we're going to change stuff, now's a great time. Yeah. Like,
1: this is let's an opportunity. implement
0: it. Everyone's yeah. in that mindset of like, well, everything's changing. The silos are getting demolished. Yeah. Everyone's building their silos again. Let's influence that. And I think that's where ACA comes in. You're giving the data. You're giving the support. Policy cannot be overlooked ever. Someone that's not very compliant, heavy in my mindset and policy um, – hurts my brain <laughs> to go and delve down those tracks but i equally know how important it is as a foundation for the people that your members
1: yeah but i i know you i hope you don't underestimate yourself because i know you would do that compliance naturally yeah. you would be assessing risk oh, without even maybe thinking about it now it, it just comes no naturally to you so you're saying look how can we how can we stretch people how can we get the most out of people yeah. but doing it in a you know, inverted commas, safe way, a way that's risk managed.
0: Yeah. And that's what I've loved about the sector from the moment I walked in and started to get familiar with it. The broadnesses of opportunity within the sector, like it's not do this, stay in this lane. It's like as long as you support the child to do this, it doesn't matter how you do it. That's right. And it's so brilliant. And what I'm seeing over the years and that growth of the sector is how we're actually... Reversing the schoolified, what my observation and the amazing practices from the early childhood sector are getting pushed up into schools that have mm. been doing the same thing
1: for gen- like generations. Well, that's right. I mean, the biggest evidence of that was the transition statements that we used to provide. We do provide to schools, so they, in my opinion, um, we've got to put it into perspective. But they weren't valued when they started no. to be delivered. Now they are valued. Principals are. Understanding how valuable they are to the prep teacher and to the cohesiveness of that class. They also understand the timing. You know, some people would want to know a transition statement. Tell me about a child in July. And we'd say, well, that child is going to be a much different child than they are in November, December, January next year. So, you know, that they do. They do understand the linkages now. A lot of work has been done. We always say there's a lot of work more to do. Boys. But it, is, it has come a long way and we should celebrate that because if you celebrate that, it gives you strength, it gives you encouragement to, okay, we've done so well, now let's do some more. Yeah. I'm so excited about where the sector's
0: going to be moving in the future. I think it's got, yes, we're through challenging times, but through challenging times we're going to come out the other side and we're going to be stronger than ever. And thanks to the ACA for all of that support and your personal role in that and the tireless hours through COVID, which would have not liked to be in your situation.
1: Um, Any final thoughts from your side? Uh, No, I I don't think there's too much to say. I mean, I feel very fortunate to be in this sector like you do. I can't see myself anywhere else. You know, it's something you wake up and you just assume this is what you'll be doing for the rest of your life. And I haven't always experienced that. I've loved what I've done. I've tried to make a difference, but I've never felt such level of knowing that this is where I should be. So I encourage people to 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 if they know that this is where they want to be, just make sure that they know how powerful one voice can be. Speak up, speak up and and know that you are wanted to be heard. So whether it's through ACA, your colleagues, the sector, the department, ministers, you know, I I have been Never, I've never been as so engaged with political engagements as I have in the lead-up to the last federal election or this state election. And politicians are just like you and me. They're real people. They want to make a difference, I believe. Yeah. Um, they just need the information and the advice to hopefully make the right decisions. And they need, and they don't want to just hear from a Brent Stokes ACA. They want to hear yeah. from a collective group and knowing what's the best, best um, advice to get the best outcomes. Yeah.
0: Well, thanks so much for joining us, Brent. It's been awesome to talk to you. Um, Invigorating. I'm feeling inspired. It's been really nice to reflect on the sector and where it's going as well. Um, I love the takeaway of let's do the small stuff right. Use a foundation. You've got the support within your communities, within the ACA. And um, the final thought that came to me was that when I was in Finland, Education Minister We are chatting and they referred to the teachers. It comes from many, many generations ago where the librarian was referred to as the light of the village. Wow. Like they bring the light into the community and that same saying is transferred onto teachers. Yes. So I just invite you all that are listening, be that light to your community, be that light to um, the children in your world the parents listening you are the light 24 7 and I know it feels like it can be a bit dim sometimes but it's time to spread some light into your community light up the rooms and if you need that extra brightness you're supported by ACA you're supported um, by this community so keep up the good work in these hard times Brent once again thanks for joining us thanks so much for having me on it's been a ball awesome thank you Join us again soon on a worthy Play It Forward podcast. Um, All links and references are in the show notes. Thanks so much and look forward to you joining us again soon.